Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 16, 10 to 24. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as am I. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning your brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts of Achaia, and that they were devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greeting. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you might hearty greetings to the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. As we get seated, let me pray for us. Our Lord, come. And as we wait for you to come, Lord, will you be with us now by your Spirit? Help us see wondrous things in your word. And would would your spirit be with the kids downstairs as well, and the volunteers, that they would see how great is your love for them. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm on the team here. I want to add my welcome to Kendra's welcome. It is so good to see each of you here this morning, and it's so good to open up God's word with you. So, 19 months on, here we are, our final sermon in 1 Corinthians. Yes, Wu is right. When we started our 1 Corinthians series, we were in the middle of Project Restart during COVID. Do you remember that? Project Restart? Shudders? Some shudders? Well, we've finally come to the very end. For those of you who like to know what's coming next, and some of you have asked me, next week we're, going to, we're planning to do a sermon on the church. And then for the rest of the spring and summer, Lord willing, we're going to be doing a series on the parables of Jesus and then a series on Proverbs. So Lord willing, that is our plan moving forward. But before we get started on the new, we've got some unfinished business. Some of you are a bit concerned. We seem to be moving backwards in our scripture reading from last week. But don't worry, this is the last one. And we're looking at Paul's final instructions and greetings. Specifically, we're going to be focusing on the people that Paul names in these instructions and greetings. We're focusing on on these people because each person or group of people that Paul names reveals a bit more. They lift the curtain on what Christian community was like in Corinth. And actually what, what, what these people do is that they help bring to life for us some of the things that Paul has been writing about in 1 Corinthians about how to live the Christian life in community. So we're going to start by looking at the first person, Timothy. Look at verse 10 with me. Paul writes, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, 
for I am expecting him with the brothers. What's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because Paul gives us enough information to sort of piece together the background of the bigger picture of what's going on. And what's going on, we can quite clearly see, is that people don't seem to be treating Timothy with the honour and respect that they should. That's why Paul has to give the instruction, let no one despise him. It's like you, the sign in the library that says, no talking. You know why they've had to put up that sign? It's because people are talking. Paul only has to say, let no one despise him because clearly there are people who are despising him. To despise means not to give the respect and honour as you should, to treat someone as unworthy. These verses don't tell us exactly why Timothy was being treated differently, why he was being despised, but we have some clues elsewhere in Scripture. Paul wrote several letters that we have in the Bible, and one of those is a letter that he wrote to Timothy directly. And we, and we see in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, Paul writes this to Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. In a culture that very much prioritised experience and age, perhaps some people despise Timothy for being young. Perhaps they despise him for being new or inexperienced or unknown, or perhaps they just despised him for not being Paul. We don't know the exact reason, but the point is that the people in Corinth were not giving Timothy the honour and respect that they should, and Paul's not having it. He makes clear that Paul, that, that Timothy is a fellow co-worker. And so Timothy, should he deserves to be treated with the same honour and respect as Paul is treated. We see it in verse 10 of our passage. Paul emphasises that Timothy is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So the question we ask ourselves this morning first is, how many of us have Timothys in our lives? Christian preachers and teachers and leaders, brothers and sisters who might be new or young or different or for whatever reason don't receive the honour and respect that they should get. See, it's okay to be honest that there are some preachers and teachers that are objectively better than others. It's true. It's also okay to be aware that there are some people you click with better than others. But it's never okay to despise someone. It's never okay not to give someone the honour and respect that you should. 1 Corinthians goes on to remind us to live according to the wisdom and standards of the gospel, not the wisdom and standards of the world. So let's ask ourselves, do we value charisma over character? Do we value eloquence over ethics? Do we value perhaps qualifications over godliness? The gospel transforms us, transforms Christians to live by the wisdom of the gospel rather than the wisdom of the world. The gospel transforms Christians to, to rely, to boast in the power of the gospel message instead of the talents of the gospel messenger. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. That's the same word that Paul uses in our passage. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Christ City, how do we treat the Timothys in our lives? How do we treat the Christian preachers and teachers and brothers and sisters who may not live up to the world's standards and values? Or perhaps may not live up to our personal preferences and standards and values of what we think a preacher and teacher should be like? Do we boast in the wisdom of the gospel or in the wisdom of the world? Do we rely on the power of the gospel message or the talents of the gospel messenger? How we treat our Timothys really matters. Now, I need to say that I know many of you, I'm so thankful for so many of you who do go out of your way to welcome Timothys to put Timothys at ease, to respect and honour the Timothys in your midst. And I thank God for you. And I pray that we as a church will be a church that continues to welcome and to build up Timothys because God knows our city needs more Timothys. We need more men and women to preach and teach and proclaim the gospel. So first person, Timothy. Second person, Apollos. We go from one extreme to another extreme, from Timothy, who was despised, to Apollos, who was so popular, he was, you could say, idolized. In a culture where eloquence was so highly valued, Apollos was a superstar preacher. And so what happened in the church is that in Corinth, it was fracturing into different rival fan clubs of people who followed different celebrity preachers, different superstar preachers. And some of them were pitting Apollos versus Paul. And Paul called them out on it earlier in the letter. For example, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 4, it says, he writes, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Paul's gone into all of that, and now in, at the end of the letter, in verse 16, he circles back to a request from the Corinthians to, to request Apollos to visit them. That's probably what Paul is responding to in, in this part of the letter we're looking at in verse 12, when he writes, now concerning our brother Apollos, he's probably responding to concerning your request that Apollos should visit you. And it, it should come as no surprise, shouldn't it? that the Corinthians wanted Apollos to visit them because Apollos was a hugely talented and popular preacher with lots of fans. That's not surprising, but what is surprising is how Paul and Apollos respond to the request. Put it this way, if you follow basketball or hockey, you'll know that the playoffs are happening now. I've watched one Canucks game and now I talk like I'm an expert and that's how it's going to be. <laughs> And so this is my expert insight. What I've noticed is that in addition to the playoffs being the time that people try to win championships, it's also the time that people try to win fans. The playoffs are the time when all these superstar players are trying to build their legacy. 
to build up their personal brand and to grow their fan club. Posting highlights of themselves on social media, boasting about their achievements, nominating themselves for awards. I find that hilarious. Nominating, nominating themselves for awards and trash-talking their rivals. Because that's how the real game works, doesn't it? Your, if your priority is your own glory, you build yourself up and you tear everyone else down. Which brings us back to Paul. If you're Paul, and you live by the priorities and wisdom of the world, if your priority is to build up your personal brand and to grow your fan club, and then a church requests for your so-called biggest rival to visit them, what would your strategy be? Wouldn't the best strategy be to urge him not to visit them? But Paul does the exact opposite, doesn't he? He strongly urges Apollos to visit. Look at verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. See, that's Paul. And then now we come to Apollos' response, which is just as surprising. Because if you're Apollos and your priority is to build your own personal brand and to accumulate for yourself as many fans as you can in your fan club, and your fans ask you to visit wouldn't your best strategy be to accept the invitation? But what does Apollos do? He does the exact opposite. Look at the rest of verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. And then get this, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Apollos doesn't just reject the invitation. He flat out rejects the invitation. It was not at all his will to come. The letter doesn't give us the exact reason why Apollos rejected the invitation, but the message he's sending is quite clear. Scholar Anthony Thistleton writes it this way, It may well be the case, as some have suggested, that Apollos' very reluctance to visit Corinth, indeed his being fully determined not to go yet, arose from his disgust that some at Corinth had manipulated his name as a slogan to promote the claims of a so-called Apollos group. Scholars suggest that not only did Apollos reject the invitation, he didn't even send greetings in the letter. Because he wanted to send a different message to the Corinthians, and the message is this, his priority was not his own glory, but God's glory. He didn't want to feed the rivalry, he wanted to suffocate it. Paul and Apollos respond in ways that are so countercultural, that are so surprising to the world's standards and priorities because they have different priorities, don't they? Being transformed by the gospel means that we live by the priorities of the gospel, not the priorities of the world. Being transformed by the gospel means that in everything we do, we do not for our own glory, but God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offence to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. The gospel frees us to do everything, not for our glory, but for God's glory. 
Because we already have every blessing we could possibly want or need in Christ. We have a living relationship with God Himself, the creator of everything, who sustains everything. And so we are living out of the fullness, in fact, the overflow of the joy and love and provision we have in Christ. And so now, overflowing with every good thing, we are free to live, not seeking our own advantage, but the advantage of others, so that many may be saved. The gospel transforms us and so transforms our priorities, so that when, while the world says, I do what's best for me, we say, not my will, but yours. And we can even pray, asking God, when I struggle with that, help me. The world says, my rights and my glory, but, the world, but we can say, Jesus has saved me, and so now I live for His glory. When we were going through these themes and passages in 1 Corinthians, Vancouver was at the peak of all the controversy about rights, restricted gatherings and vaccinations and masks. You remember that? I remember that. My point is, the controversy might have changed, but the problem has not. Every day, we are still faced with the same decision. Do we focus on our rights and our glory and what's best for me? Or do we ask God, what would He have us do? Do we live for our own glory or do we live for God's glory? Apollos and Paul remind us, not our glory, but God's glory. Moving on, last week, Brett spent a lot of time unpacking verses 13 and 14. So if you want to find out more about that, you can, tune, you can look at the sermon that's, on, uh, that's online. And we're going to move on to verse 15 and the household of Stephanus. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. Look, look at verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and labourer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Two things we need to note here. The first is we should recognise all those who serve the church. Paul says it at the end of verse 18, give recognition to such people. Serving the church takes commitment and hard work. That's why Paul uses the language of devotion and service. He describes them as workers, as laborers. It's hard work. It's hard labor. And we need, to do, we need to take the time to recognize and appreciate all those who serve and labor for the church. Get to know our elders and appreciate them. If you don't know who they are, their names and their photos are on the website. And I know they appreciate me pointing that out. <laughs> appreciate the greeters at the door when you come in or go out. Appreciate the ushers who are sitting right at the back. The, the connect team who's going to be at the desk. The, the band, the readers, the communion servers, those who are at the cross to pray for you. Thank the cafe, cafe team Later, as you go out the door and you see them changing the coffee, or if they're not there, go downstairs to the kitchen and thank them as they wash up. 
And while you're downstairs, go ahead and thank the kids' team. And then go upstairs and recognize the sound team and the projection team in the room right over there. Think about others in your life who serve in community groups, in youth, in Alpha, in 1018, and recognize them. Thank those who serve in formal ways and those who serve in informal ways, encouraging, praying, decorating, carrying babies. We've got a lot of that going on. Stacking chairs, mopping floors. And as someone who works in the church, I get to see lots of service that goes on behind the scenes. And I want to recognize some of these leaders. Chandel for leading the Connect team. Lindsay, who's seated at the back over there, for organizing the ushers. Duncan for organizing the projection team. Matt and Leah, are they here? I thought I saw them. Yes, over there. Matt and Leah for organizing the cafe team. Ruth for serving with Kendra in women's Bible study. Jacob and Dory for serving with Alison to lead the band. And Marvin, Simon, Lane and Mike for so faithfully and sometimes thanklessly helping us with our systems and our building. Thank you for your devotion to serve the saints. The second thing to note from our passage is who Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus are. In Corinthian society, status really mattered. Who you were, and to the to put a finer point on it, how much money you had really mattered. And this is where it gets really interesting. From the way the verses are worded, it's likely that Stephanus was rich. He was the owner of a household. And it's also just as likely that Fortunatus and Achaicus were his servants. That's why they're part of his household. Now, if you were someone as rich as Stephanus, you'd be used to people serving you, not you serving others. And yet, what is Stephanus known for? He is known for his devotion to the service of others. That's so striking, isn't it? But that's what happens when you've been transformed by the gospel. When you've been transformed by the gospel, it doesn't matter what your status was or even what your status is. We have been transformed to be a servant of others. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And it's not just that in a society where status was so important, it is so striking as well that the Corinthians were called not just to recognize and respect and follow Stephanus, but his servants too. Stephanus, who is the one of high status, comes down to serve others. And those who are of a low status, the servants, they are elevated. They are brought up to be people who should be followed and respected and recognized. It's so wonderful how the gospel does that, doesn't it? It, it just turns the values of the world upside down. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, where you live, how much money you have, or any of that. We are all sinners who have been saved by grace. And there's something profoundly equalizing about our status before God. 
Fourth group of people, Aquila and Prisca. Look at verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This passage reminds us that the church in Corinth wasn't the only church in the world. There were churches and brothers and sisters from everywhere else. This passage also reminds us that people will move on from one church to another church. We see this about Aquila and Prisca. Acts 18 tells us that they used to be part of the church in Corinth, but they had to move on. And so there's actually a very nice symmetry to the letter. At the start of 1 Corinthians, Paul opened with a similar reminder that the church in Corinth wasn't the only church out there. He said that there are people in every place who call upon the name of Jesus. Look at 1 verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. See, when, when you face with problems, it's so easy to just focus on yourself. When you face successes, it's so easy to focus on yourself. It's so tempting, isn't it, to, have a, to, have a, to shrink our view of what the church is. To think that the only churches in the city that matter are the churches that I'm a part of. Or perhaps only the churches that I'm comfortable with. And as a pastor, if I'm being completely honest with all of you here, it can be tempting to view other churches as rivals. When a church member moves on to another church, it's very tempting to react territorially or defensively. And when I think about wanting to grow the church, it can be very tempting just to ask all of you to invite all your friends to leave their churches and join ours. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God isn't about shuffling people, it's about growing his kingdom. God calls us to pray for and have fellowship with other gospel-believing churches. This passage reminds us of that. And so we spend time praying for other gospel-believing churches. Today, this week, this month, think of just one other church in our city and spend time praying for them. And if we previously left the church on bad terms, could I suggest that perhaps spend some time asking God if He would have you do anything to make that right? This passage also calls us to rejoice when other gospel-believing churches are flourishing and growing. And so when one of our members goes on to be a blessing to another gospel-believing church, our response should be to rejoice, to celebrate, to encourage them as they go. In Vancouver, we have few enough Christians and churches as it is. We don't have time to be fighting with one another. This passage reminds us that our priority is not to make our church look good, it's to make Jesus beautiful. 
Our priority is not to shuffle sheep around, it's to bring more sheep into the fold. Our priority is not to make our church look good, it's to make Jesus look beautiful. And that's our final person and final point, Jesus. Of course it's Jesus. Look at verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. When, when we say amen, we, it means that we agree. We agree with what is being said, what is being prayed, what is being sung. And it's so fitting that in a letter with so many instructions on how to live the Christian life, Paul ends with so many references to Jesus. Because the Christian life and Jesus come together, you can't have one without the other. The only way to live the Christian life is out of a relationship with Jesus, having love for Him and loving others based on the love we get from Him. That's what Paul is getting at in verse 24 when he says, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. When Paul says in Christ Jesus, he's making clear that our ability to love others is based on being in Jesus, meaning is based on being united with him and having a living relationship with him. We can only love because God first loved us. There's a theologian, Richard Sibbs, who lived a long time ago, who describes our hearts like being made of wax, like, like, like a candle. If you try to reshape wax while it's cold, what happens? It breaks, it cracks. The way to reshape wax is to warm it and to melt it. And so Richard Sibbs uses this picture to describe the only way our hearts can be reshaped to live the Christian life. He writes this, As when things are cold, we bring them to the fire to heat and melt, so we bring our cold hearts to the fire of the love of Christ. Considering our sins against Christ and Christ's love towards us, dwell upon this meditation. Think what great love Christ has shown us and how little we have deserved. And this will make our hearts to melt and be as pliable. Pliable means to be moldable, to be shapeable. And be as pliable as wax before the sun. If you will have this tender and melting heart, then be always under the sunshine of the gospel. If you will have this tender and melting heart, be always under the the sunshine of the gospel. Christ City, trying to live the Christian life without the sunshine of the gospel, trying to change and reshape our hearts without the warmth of Jesus' love will lead to our hearts cracking with joylessness and bitterness. It is only when our hearts have been warmed and melted by the fire of Jesus' love, by the sunshine of the gospel, that our hearts can then be shaped to live the Christian life life for God's glory. The Christian life does not and will not make sense apart from the love of God and love for God. And so if you take away nothing else from today, if you take away nothing else from this entire 19th month long sermon series, take this away. Spend time meditating on God's love for you. 
Spend time thinking about how sinful you are and then spend time thinking about the greatness of God's love that covers every one of your sins. Even though we were sinners, God loved us so much that He sent His only Son to die on the cross for us. And then He sends us His Spirit to pour His love into our hearts. Christ City, this week, this day, perhaps even this very moment, may God pour His love into our hearts. May we have a deeper appreciation of the length and breadth and height and depth of God's extravagant love for each one of us. If you're not a follower of Jesus and, you, and you're curious, you want to know more, what is this love? Let's have a conversation. Talk to the person you came with. You can come talk to me or any of the staff here and it will be our joy to talk to you about the love of Christ. Because it is Jesus' love that saves us and unites us as a church. It is Jesus' love working through His Spirit that transforms us to live by the wisdom of the gospel instead of the wisdom of the world. It is Jesus' love working through His Spirit that transforms us to live by the power of the gospel message rather than the eloquence, rather than the talents of the gospel messenger. It is Jesus who turns the values of the world upside down. Even though He is God, He came down to earth as a servant so that we may be raised up as children of God. If you are able, please stand as we respond to God's Word together.